everyone. Thank you. Hey, so if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. How many of you read ahead? Just, uh, okay, yeah, it's hard to say, right? Because now you're raising your hand for Bibles. So um, if you did, I'm, I'm just stoked to see you here, to be honest. This is one of those chapters, and it's very technical, and yet it's so full of really good goodies. And I want to make sure we get them. But go ahead and open up those Bibles, by the way, to the book of Numbers. That's the fourth book of the Bible. And today, boy, are you going to see it. It's going to live up to its name today. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you should see it coming with a book called Numbers, right? You know? So go ahead and take a look at it. Open up to Numbers. It's the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers 26. If you go there, please. The book of Numbers 26. You should see this one coming. We're going to go right into prayer. Take a look, though. Read, take a quick gander through the chapter for a second. Now, if you're new to the Bible, I want you to know every chapter isn't like this. But it is a very important chapter. But if you're new to Scripture and you're like, what did I sign up for? They dragged me to this. I want you to recognize that we are looking at a group of people and we are looking at a second census. And it's second because the first one took place in the first couple chapters of Numbers. Why do you think they call it the book of Numbers? Wait, can you hear me? Okay. Did you, did you lose something? Do I have it? Is it one of these? Your radar. All right. <laughs> I love this, guys. It's nice to know there are people out there weirder than you are. Yeah, some of you can argue that. I heard that. I heard that. Follow me for a second. Israel has been removed. So they've been removed from Egypt back in the book of Exodus. They weren't even a nation before they were there. They were a guy and his 12 kids. And this man and his 12 kids, each of those 12 children became a whole group of people. Each son. The fourth of those sons, Judah, which means praise, is where we get the term Jew today. So you get that for sure. And they, after 400 years of slavery, were brought out. They were brought out of a land of slavery and bondage, a land they never thought they could escape. But understand, God didn't do it just to get people out of bondage. He systematically took down everything that they worshipped so that the Egyptian would know who the he was the one following. So, <clears throat> maybe you've made a choice now to sort of follow God. And if you've made a choice to follow God, I want to warn you, there are battles to be fought, challenges to stand before. There will be battles in any form of life. Any choice you make, there are going to be battles. But if you do not follow God by faith, and that word, by the way, isn't even a fancy word. It just means trust. If you're not willing to trust him, you are on the road to destruction. You 
backward in position after position where you do not have the strength to fight your way out, the brilliance to plot your way out, the charm to beat your way out. You will find yourself in the end of yourself. And at that moment, you will either be stuck clinging to the one who is bigger than you are, or you'll go mental. This book shows us the casualties of a group of people who chose to follow God, but not necessarily trust him. See, trusting him isn't, isn't just thinking that Jesus is a get-out-of-hell-free card. Like, okay, I prayed the prayer, I saw, I saw a priest who sprinkled me with holy water or whatever, somebody wearing a robe that didn't just come out of the shower, said something and waved their hand in some kind of cross-like position or something. I should be saved, right? I mean, I've seen the movies like Hollywood. Is that really all you need to trust God with? In the church, we really do end up with this. We can actually try to tell the world that God's for saving, but the world's for following. But before I knew Jesus, God had turned his life until I was 19. I had all that the world had to offer. And I guarantee you, I was dead wrong. Now, most of you here will nod in agreement, but still go and find that out for yourself. And I can tell you the truth more than I have possibly done so. There's no, money can't buy that. Fame can't give you that. Popularity can't sever that. But that the whole created order uniquely by God, for God, is saved. God made you for a unique whole. It's too big for any human strength. Only God himself can fill it. strong enough, we're not pure enough to fulfill it. Could you explain to us before you have kids, failed marriages, weep through a sentence, work with the B talk? Because that's who holds many people close. Just because they're brave enough to speak from everything that they know. And it is like Satan. Because inside, there is this hole that constantly is being reminded. Every time you stick something in it and it disappears, it gets bigger. You end up there. And if somebody has joy around you because they love God and they know that you aren't crazy inside, but you're trying to, and then the voice of the Holy Spirit speaks to you, I love you, I created you to be with me, I want you because I'm speaking from God's perspective. And you're like, ah, la, 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 give me another drink. There are not enough Jaeger bombs in the world to silence the voice. But God is calling out to you. And the thing that is so angering and frustrating is that if you read the God of the Bible, be true. He's calling us to love. Not in judgment or anger or vindication. But a God who did more than step in front of a hurdle. He went through hard torture. That was reserved for the most heinous of crimes so that the most the 
So you chose to follow him by faith. God didn't just remove you from the land of bondage you were in so that you could wander around for the rest of your life not in your bondage. Could you imagine if the only thing you're known for is an ex-slave? Then who in the world am I now? God has a place planned uniquely for you to place your feet on this. Now, I don't know how many here, like myself, actually know what it's like to be a clerk. I mean, you walk in a room and you know you're going to scour the room when you walk in. I know that feeling. I know what it's like to walk into a room and I knew that I'd walk out getting in a fight when I got out of there. I know what it's like to improve the room by leaving it. And for God to say, I'm going to make you a blessing Wherever he puts you in the mix, he will be satisfied with that. That's what God wants. And for that to happen, you're going to have to trust him to take down the giants that are in you. In chapter 1 and 2, we took account of Simeon this morning. We took account of the people. And when God said, remember, we were just slaves. Who trains their slaves to fight? Does that sound smart to you? never been in a fight in our life, except when we got beat, but that wasn't much of a fight. We took it, they gave it. And in the beginning of this book, he's like, now that I've gotten you out of that, let's count our fighting men. You're like, count our fighting men? Why would I count our fighting men? What fights do we need to have? We don't know how to fight. So when we actually counted our men at the beginning of this, understand it was 603,550 guys between 20 years old and older that were able to fight. So we had an army of over a half a million people that have never shot a gun, used a sword, or anything like that. We knew how to make a brick. I mean, if we thought if we really wanted to put an army together by our experience, we'd be brick throwers. That's all we really had. And when we thought of it, and please hear me on this, when we heard that, I imagine it sounded really good in theory. God's like, count your men. This is going to be a battle. I'm recruiting people because we're going to gain ground here for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of people being set free. And I want to use you to advance that. And we're like, yeah, yeah, got it. So let's count the people who are up and in it. And so we counted the men, 603,550 men. Thinking, oh, battle, schnabel, whatever battle, whatever that means. Now we're on the other side of that. We're taking a, six, a second census in Numbers 26. 38 years, well really, to be honest, 40 years, and that's just 39 years have transpired. Of these 603,550 men, 603,548 of them have died. Listen, of 603,550 men, 603,548 have died. That means two have lived. That's a really small ratio, don't you think? And all of a sudden, when God says it here, there's a difference in the way we hear it. 
Sometimes God says, look it, I'm going to prepare you for something. There's a battle to be fought. I'm going to walk you through it. You're going to come out of this thing alive. And you're like, but I want you to cling to me. I Don't go to the bottle. Don't go to the pornography. Don't run off to that other thing. That's been your crutch. I need you to lean on me through this. And you're like, yeah, got it. And then you get hit with it, and it's like you're blindsided. Though God warned you. And you don't cling to them. You run to all of those other things, and you have the scars and the emotional tattoos from it. And then God says another time, listen, something else you're going to go through, and I'm going to carry you through it. I need you to cling to me. Second time around, I go cling. Got it. And I mean it this time. Because now it means something. But unfortunately, for it to mean something, there is the wilderness around me is a graveyard of chasm. Now, I'll grant you this. This is one of the most technical chapters we have. It's people and people's names. And you're like, what difference does it make? Am I ever going to meet these people anyway? But what we have now are survivors. And interestingly enough, the perseverers have become atheists. The survivors have become leaders. And look it. I gave my life to Jesus at 19. That was at least 10 years ago. Thank you for not laughing too hard. Thank you. Thank you. In the, honestly, 30 years that I've walked with Jesus, I've watched heroes that I thought were like, with a big S on their chest, I've watched men that I thought were immovable turn into powerful I've watched people surprise me on the other side of truth that were so weak and so addicted and so running back to their drugs that now seem recovered before drug dealers now we should not be talking about them it happens like this but there's a part of you that after the dust clears you're just happy to be here and what kept you standing is not your strength, is not your gifting. Is that what it gives you? How many of us know that? How many of us know that? Is the fact that in the end of it all, we kept you here, even when we were stupid, even when we were doing rotten and rebellious things. That's what Paul says at the end of his letter. we go through this, and we'll cover it in a couple weeks. The battles will always be over your head. That's what it's going to be. And that's what makes it so rough. Some are like, I'm too smart to believe in such things. I'm like, you ever fly? And don't tell me how you don't tell people that. Can you see why that plane stays in the air? People will have horrible relationships, but they're still going to go and fall in love again. Some have never seen a healthy relationship, but they're convinced they can fix it. That's what it's like. We long for that. And can I say, like always, please don't just believe it. Never just believe it, just take it. Take the scriptures, let this book, this gorgeous, beautiful, pithy book, Let it be that for which you test me in testing.
Hey, there are names here that would be irrelevant. We'll see if we had no background with them. But I want you to think, if we were these people, this would really mean something. And because we're going to have land to claim, we have to be able to chase it back to one of these families. It's kind of important to know where they came. We walked, we grew, we ate, we laughed with these people. These were real people, and this is real tragedies. And now here we are looking at this, with looking at the rebellions and their stupidities. Life has been chiseled away. And now we're taking inventory, inventory of an army that means so much different than it did back in 1 and 2. The difference now of pain and sacrifice, they're very real. The casualties, they're very real. And I don't want to be one. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be one. Back in Numbers 25, and if you have your Bible, flip back for just a second. The last thing, if you remember, was a bunch of guys that went chasing after a bunch of girls that were serving other gods. And when they did and started serving other gods, well, 24,000 men died. In one, and, and in all of that, it tells us, and, and then some. And then it says in verse 14, Numbers 25:14. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite. Remember, this was the guy that took a girl right in the broad face of Moses, brought him right into his tent. And, uh, well, we don't have to develop that. But the guy that did all of that in absolute and abject rebellion was a guy named Zimri, the son of Saul. He was a leader of the father's house among the Simeonites. Did you get that? So here's a real quick question. You don't have to be real brilliant or even have a great astute knowledge of Scripture. This guy that did this horrible rebellious act, what tribe was he from or what people was he from? Simeon. He was a Simeonite. Did you get that? Okay, now, just keep that in mind as we look at this. Chapter 26, verse 1, it says, It came to pass after the plague. The plague was this horrible outbreak that took place because of the rebellion and the turning from the Lord in the last chapter. That the Lord spoke to Moses and Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest. Stop for a second. There's a whole new thing already starting to take place. I hope you can, if you've been with us, you would notice it. And that is, that now it's not Moses and Aaron. I remind you, Aaron, Moses' brother, is dead. But his son, whose name, by the way, is God the Helper, has taken his place. And for us to move from where we've been to the new place, we're going to have to leave a couple guys behind, including Moses, by the way. Moses will not take us into the promised land. He gives us the law, and the leader of the law, the one who leads by law, will have to be removed for the one who leads by love. And the one that's called the original priest, the light bearer or light giver, has to be replaced by God the helper. Hey, if you've given your life to Christ, let me make something clear. It's one of the reasons why I have a real problem with what they call flirt to convert or evangelical dating. There's a million reasons, but one of them is because in the end of it all, you have a hard time remembering what part of it's God and what part's the person. But if you were the original priest in someone's life, you shared Jesus and they accepted the gift of Jesus, sooner or later you got to get out of the way and let the helper, God's Holy Spirit, step in. Or you'll never really go to the place of fruitfulness. And there are some people, it's like they love God as long as their buddy that's with them is with them. It's like the Batman and Robin complex. It's like they're quick to become Robin. But they never become their own Batman. I know it's kind of a weird thought, but you get the idea that sooner or later, God has something uniquely for you, and it's not to be someone's sidekick. It's actually to be the person God's called you to. We better pray. Let's pray, because I don't even want to go any farther. Lord, please speak to every one of us. You know how to speak fluent us, every one of us. So, Lord, let there not be a person here that doesn't hear you today. 
the Lord speak in a way that so nails us, so gets our hearts, so consumes us, so captivates us, that we will kind of wonder what the pastor has been told. Not because I want to be anything, but I want them to know that you know them personally, intimately, and love them and want them. So Lord, flesh out our hearts, Lord, in such a way that we could be spoken to today. God, I just commit this time. Fill me afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, bring salvation, bring peace, bring hope, bring strength. Now we pray. Jesus, in your name. Amen. So, the Lord now speaks now to Moses and Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saying, Take a census of the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and above. By their father's house, we were able to go to war in Israel. Now it means something. The last time he said this was in chapter 1, verse 2, at the Mount Sinai, where they got the law. Now they're standing, and God makes clear, across from the promised land. They're actually looking at the land. And God says, now let's take a new, let's take a account one more time. The last time we took account, again, 603,550. This time, by the way, 603,500. Well, what was it? It's 601,730 are what are going to be counted. In other words, we've decreased 3%. Though of those people that died, God has replaced all but 3% for what it's worth. We'll see, by the way. We'll take a look. Here we go. Tone's a little different now. We've seen battle after battle. We've seen our cravings, we've seen our foolishnesses, and that's what's behind us. Verse 3 says, Moses and Eleazar, the priests, spoke with them on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. Take a census of the people 20 years old and above. Just as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt. The first three. Verse 5 will be Reuben. Verse 12 will be Simeon. Verse 15 will be Gad. Listen, Reuben. And by the way, what we're going to find is every one of them winds up becoming... Uh, their own people group. Look, it says, Reuben was the firstborn of Israel. Uh, the children of Reuben were Hanach, family of the Hanachites, Palu, family of the Palatites, Hezron, family of the Hezronites, Carmi, like Carmi, the family of the Carmites. These are the families of the Reubenites who were numbered with them, 43,730. By the way, Palu had a son named Eliav. Eliav um, had sons named Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. And then he reminds us, remember Dathan and Abiram? These were the Dathan and Abiram who, by the way, representatives of the congregation who contended with Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah when they contended against the Lord and the Lord opened up the mouth, opened its mouth, swallowed them up together with Korah when the company died, when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign. Nevertheless, the children of Korah didn't die. In the first of our 12 that are listed here, by the way, God tells us one of the reasons why some of those people passed away. And what we see, by the way, is we recount and realize that there is a progress to take here. One of the things we do see is we are reminded of those moments when we were outright rebellious. God says, this is the order I've set things. This is what I want. And you're like, no way. Who are you to tell me what I, uh, who, I, who I am and what to do? What's interesting is, if I look at what these names, Henoch, by the way, means initiated, or if you will, gone through fire. The idea of that, of course, is gone through something rough. Palo means distinguished or somebody that's clearly identified. Hezron, by the way, means the courtyard. Carmi means gardener. Who names their child gardener? Just, you know, I want to remind you, the people who are naming their children are naming them in the language that they speak. Kind of like American Indians. When they're like, what's your name? Chief Running Nose. Okay, well, you get the idea. And the reason I say that is, you know, you might say, well, what's your name? Well, my name's Irene. Well, where does that come from? Well, that comes from Greek, and it comes from Greek, and it means peace. Okay, that's one thing. But it's another thing, for instance, if somebody's Greek calling their children something Greek. Does that make sense? So the reason I say this, when you're naming your children, and usually if it was a boy, 
you waited eight days. So you actually tried to get a little bit of the personality of your son before you named him, and then you named him. If I put the names together, this is what we have, by the way. The initiated, distinguished courtyard gardener, God the Father, because that's what we read as Eliab in verse 8. And then we have Nemuel, which means his day, God's day, the day of God. And then we have, ultimately, the exalted father, Abiram. I put it together of this, the distinguished courtyard gardener, God the Father, in this day is exalted. Strange thing. Let me say that again. The initiated, distinguished courtyard gardener, God the Father, in this day is exalted. Now, okay, so what's the deal? Big deal. Unless you look at the New Testament, because you realize there's only one time in the entire New Testament the word gardener is used. And it's in John chapter 20, verse 15, where on that moment a girl is crying and it, because the Lord she had served had died. But he's resurrected, and he, puts his, he actually comes to her, and she doesn't recognize him because she thinks he's the, the gardener. And when he calls her name, she realizes Jesus is resurrected. Interesting. The name's again the initiated or gone through it, distinguished courtyard gardener, because it was in a courtyard, by the way. God the Father in this day is exalted for what it's worth. Now, there's a total, by the way, it says here in verse 7, 43,730. There used to be 46,500. That drops 2,700. That means 6% of a loss among those guys. Next, verse 12, the sons of, Sa- of Simeon, according to their families, were Nemuel, same as above. That means God's day or day of God. Yamin, like we be Jamin. Hey, but in Hebrew, we actually say a Y. So Yamin means the right hand or his right hand of the Yaminites. Yachin, by the way, means he will establish of the family of the Yachinites. Zerah, verse 13, means rising light or the resurrected or the rising of light. Family of Zarets. Shual means sought after or looked after or sought. Family of the Shualites. Of these families, the, the Simeonites, 22,200. And again, here's what their names mean if we put them together. The day of God, his right hand will establish that desired rising light. For what it's worth. Now, with that, there was 22,000, he says here. The last time they took a census, there were 49,300. This will be your biggest loser. 63% drop. And what tribe is it? You tell me. Simeon. Do we know anything that Simeon has done recently? That was the guy who took the girl and led this group of people in regards to chasing after other gods. Should it surprise us that this was the biggest loser? And might I say, that was something. Let's just say this. This church, by the way, was planted about four years ago. In those four years, we have watched some people come and go. I mean, let's face it, it's London. You can't stay here. Many people, they're like, I'm going to stay here forever, and then they can't afford it. There are others, by the way, that are really struggling, that really stepped up, and it's beautiful to watch. There are others that, were, that we've watched that have been casualties. Some, by the way, by that virtue of relationship. They've gone after someone else that really didn't love God, and they decided really to kind of bail on God to save the relationship is really how it works. And some of you know it because they used to sit next to you. Well, that's Simeon. And it's a big loss. Can I just say, we don't celebrate anyone that falls off like that. We grieve it. Verse 15 is our third. Gad. Gad, by the way, what we read is who watches or watchful is what Zephon means. Haggai, by the way, means happy. By the way, hag, ironic for us, means an entirely different thing. But Hebrew, hag means happy. 
Matter of fact, they have little packets, and it's called Cafe Hag. That means happy coffee. There you go. And you're like, Hag? You'd think that's before I had the coffee. Well, Shuni means quiet. Ozni means, by the way, quick to listen. Eri means watchful. Arod means fugitive. Areli means heroic. And we read, by the way, the sons of the Ga- of Gad, according to their numbers, were 40,500, 40, by the way. They were originally 45,650. They've dropped 5,150 people. That's 11% drop. Happy, watchful, happy, quiet, quick to hear is the watchful, heroic fugitive. That's what it tells us. Interesting for what it's worth. Those first three were all put in the position, by the way, on the south side. And they all lost. As a group, they lost. And those were the ones, Scripture tells us, were the quickest to complain. Shouldn't surprise us that those, by the way, that were quickest to complain were the quickest to drop off and die. And that's what we have. The good news is the next three, which, by the way, are at the entrance of the tabernacle, every one of them is going to grow. Should that tell you something? Now, Psalm 92.13, by the way, says he was planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. Well, the first of them is Judah. Notice in verse 19, he did have a couple of kids that were punks, and we read actually God killed them. How would you like to have that in Scripture? It says the sons of Judah were Ur and Onan, which means watch, and the strong, and they died in the land of Canaan before they even got out. The sons of Judah, according to their families, were Shelah. Notice in verse 20, family of the Shelanites, Perez, Shirah, by the way, means requests or requests or making requests. Perez means a breakthrough, the Perezites, because the baby broke through was kind of the idea. Zerah, rising light. Uh, then we have the name Hezron, that's courtyard. We've seen that before. Then Hamul, by the way, which means compassionate. And then he tells us the numbers. 76,500 versus the 74,600. We've gone up 2.5%. 1,900 people. Watch the strong request a courtyard breakthrough from the compassionate rising light. There you go. That's what it means. Issachar. Here's one of my favorites. You ready for this? This is the stuff you miss. If you just read through quickly, and forgive me if you go like, this is really technical. I agree with you. Most of Scripture isn't like this, but if you needed to, fight, to chase your family line to claim land, you should better have this. But here's my favorite in this. The sons of Issachar, according to their family names, was, what's the first name listed there? Could you tell me? Does anyone know what Tola means? It means maggot or worm. Who names their child maggot or worm? That's just a guy with issues. Now, if I said, this is my kid, maggot, my first thought is, this is a dysfunctional family, and I don't even know any more than that. But listen to this. You think that's bad. The next son's name is Pua. But the good news is Pua literally means is blown away or blasted away. Yashub means he will return. I don't know why you'd name your kid that, but again, that's not my choice. Shimron, by the way, means the thing preserved or for something preserved. So I put all the names together and I have the maggot blown away. He will return for his preserve. There you go. There was 64,300 now, uh, by the way. Uh, from 54,400, which means 9,900 people have been added to this tribe. It's 18% growth. Nice, Issachar. Zebulun, by the way, 
According to their family, Sered, which means trembling. I understand why you could name your child that, I suppose. Elan, which by the means strength or oak grove. Yalil, which means expectant of God. And that's all the children you have here. 5%, 5 5.5% growth, 60,500. From 57,400, we've gained 3,100 people. And it means the trembling strength expectant of God. There you go. Uh, the sons of Joseph, he has two of them. They wind up becoming tribes in verse 28. We have Manasseh, which means he causes to forget, and then Ephraim, which means double feet. Because you have a second child, that's double the fruit of my children. And then we have this person, Mahir. Do you see that in verse 29? I know that this is technical, but follow me. Keep with me. We're, we're going through it quickly. Mahir, by the way, means to exchange or exchanger or a salesman. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad I wasn't named salesman. But exchanger is also what the term really means. The family of the Mahirites, Gilead. Gilead, by the way, means a heap of testimony. The family of the Gileadites, the sons of Gilead, would Yidzer, which means helpless. Helek, which means portion. Asriel, which means right of God, like his right. Shechem is the place of burdens, the neck. Shemida, which means name of knowing of the Shemidiats. Hefer, which means a pit of shame. Who names their child a pit of shame? And, and expects them to ever do anything with their life. Um, Zelophehad, by the way, firstborn, son of Hefer, had no sons, but he had some daughters. Ladies, listen to these names so you can pick one out and say, which one do you want? The daughters of Zelophehad were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Terza. Any of those really ring out to you? Mala, by the way, in case you think that's cute, means diseased. This is my daughter, diseased. Noah, like Noah, the guy who built the big boat, his name means rest. Hogla, by the way, means partridge. So her whole family comes to the partridge family. Anyways, um, Milka, there's, that may, by the way, means queen. That's a little funny to me only because her grandfather's name is Heifer. So I think it's interesting that Heifer's granddaughter is Milka. So there's Milka from Heifer. Anyways, whatever that's worth. And Terza, which, by the way, means favorable. So you might want Terza. These are the families of Menashe, by the way. And if I put it all together, this is what I have. The one who exchanges, or the exchanger exchanges the heap of testimony because it's God's right to take the helpless portion upon his neck, casting the firstborn in the pit of shame. Hmm. That's just something to consider. I think, interesting. 57,700 from 32,200 this is the largest group that grows, interestingly enough. They grow 63%. They gain 20,500 people. There you go. Hey, by the way, I do want to make clear on all of this. If you remember back with those guys that stood against in the rebellion, it says that they all died, but their sons didn't. Why is that so important? And, and forgive me, because I don't want to miss that, because I want you to realize how important this is. That's back, by the way, in verse 9. Do you see that? In verse 11. 9, 10, 11. 11, it says the sons of Korah didn't die. God is not going to nail you for what your dad did. Praise God for that for some of us. And just because your dad was a lunatic doesn't mean you have to be. Just because things were crazy that way doesn't mean you have to be crazy that way. God knows how to start it over. And it isn't like these guys are just not bad. Psalm 42 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, and 50 are all written by the sons of Korah. So these guys that were spared did a whole lot more than just not be bad. 
They became the song leaders. And if you think that song leaders are always kind of wimpy people, prayerfully you don't think that here. The one that was sort of the most famous of this whole group was a guy named He-Man. Now, you can't... There you go. Just you just might want to know it. You know? So can you imagine? It's like, hey, the choir director's coming in. What's his name? He-Man. I want you to sing! Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. Verse 35, let's move on. Ephraim, according to his families, the, the name Shuletha, which, by the way, means breaking noise. I think I can see naming a child that. Becher, by the way, means of a young camel. I'm not too sure why you would name your child that. Tachan means camp, by the way, and Aran, like before, means watcher. And what you have then is the breaking noise of the young camel to the camp watcher. I have no idea what that means. 32,500 from 40,500, they have now lost 8,000 people, which means they're down 20%. Benjamin, according to his families. Bella, which means destruction. <laughs> Actually, I, would, I could see naming your child that. Ashpel, which means a man of Baal. Ahiram, which means, or by the way, literally a man of God or a man of the master. Ahiram means exalted brother. Shufam means serpent. Hufam, by the way, means the man from the shore. But then Ard, verse 40, means I shall subdue. Maybe that's why pirates say that all the time. Nahaman means with pleasantness. And I put that together, a destruction of the man of Baal, the brother exalted, the serpent, man of the shore, I shall subdue with pleasantness. There you go. They had 45,600. They came from 35,400, which means that they gained 10,229%. Then you have Dan. This will be the easiest one for you because he has one kid. There you go. These are the sons of Dan. By the way, Dan means judgment for what it's worth. So when you talk to Daniel, his name means judgment of God. You know, when Nathaniel, if you know a Nathaniel, his name, Nathan, means gift. So if you're like, what, do you think you're a gift of God if his name's Nathaniel? Well, his name means it. All right. Dan, according to their families, Shohum, are the families, and this is one of my favorites, means pit digger. Who names their child pit digger? So he has that guy. He's of the Shohumanites, the pit diggerites. These are the family of Dan. There you go. There was 64, now there's 64,400. There used to be 62,700, which means they gained 1,700 equals 2.5% growth. Asher, by the way. And we're looking, we're almost done. We're down to the two last ones. I know you're crying over it. Hey, hey, I just think God really just wants to make this stuff clear, and I don't want to go past it and try to tell you that everything's important and then not at least take a look into this. Asher, by the way, has of his family, the first guy's name is Yimna, which means my right hand. Yesui, which means, by the way, he resembles me. Beraya means with a friend. That's kind of a cool name, isn't it? Beraya means with a friend. Hiber, in verse 45, means my helper. Machiel means God the king. Verse 46 is the name, and by the way, he just mentions this, that there's a girl in the family and her name is Sarah, but it's with an E, Sarah. The name means, by the way, the prince breathed or breath of the prince. And I do like this one. Listen to this. His right hand resembles me with a friend, the helper, God the king, breath of the prince. Hmm. I get it. They grew 28%, by the way. 53,400 from 41,500, they gained 11,900 people. The sons of Naphtali, according to their families, by the way, were Yaziel, which means God who divides family of the Yaziel, it's Guni, Guni, 
my defender, family of the Goonites. You thought Goonies were a new thing? Right here. Yet Serra was forming the Yezirites, Shilim, which means recompense of the Shilimites. Family of Natsvoy, according to their families, were numbered for them 45,400. From 53,400, they lost 8,000 guys. That's 15, 15% lost. It's God who divides, or my defender forming recompenses, is what this says. Verse 51 says, and now we're pulling out of that. These are those who were numbered of the children of Israel, 601,730. Which, by the way, again, from 603,550, which means we lost 3%, 603,548 of those have already died. We've lost. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, To the, these, the land is divided as an inheritance according to the number of names. To a large tribe, you give a large inheritance. That should make sense, right? More land to more people. And to a small tribe, you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given its inheritance according to those who are numbered of them. Verse 55 says, But the land shall be divided by lot. There shall be an inheritance of the names of the tribes of their fathers. That's why we have to know the tribes of the fathers. Because the inheritance is according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. So you have to be able to say, so someone will say, what tribe are you from? And you're like, uh, I don't know. I'm from, well, then they're like, well, how do you claim land? You know, imagine if you will, you try to go and you start parking yourself and you start squatting at one of the queen's houses. And you say, well, I'm a direct relative of the queen. They're like, how? They're like, I just decided I am. It probably won't work out very well for you. I'm kind of guessing. It's important to note that there are two things he says here. One is, is that a larger tribe gets a larger property. That makes sense. By the way, that's something that the Lord will always commonly make, make common to us, by the way, because it's important for, him to, for us to recognize that the Lord really wants us to be fruitful. John 15, 16 tells us that. He says that I've come that you'd bear fruit and that your food will remain. Understand, God didn't just say I've come so that you don't have to go to hell and then you wander around on earth until you die and then we get to enjoy each other. That would be so horrible. I remember when I first got saved, it seemed to me like it didn't make sense why I should still be here if the only purpose was to go to heaven. I remember asking this poor pastor, why doesn't he kill us? I imagine that's how I started the conversation. He's like, uh, what do you mean? I'm like, well, if he died for us to send us to heaven, why do I have to live? Obviously, I've passed the test. I should just die and go to heaven, right? And the poor guy was like, I, I, I don't know. I'm like, oh. And then I just really thought it would have fun with him. I'm like, why shouldn't I kill you? You are a Christian, right? He's like, uh, and his voice starts cracking. Um, um, yes. The Lord says, I want to use you now. You've been a crazy person to hurt people. You've been selfish and self-consumed. You've been a black hole. Why don't I make you a star now to give others light? I want to use you now. I want to make you a blessing. And when your life has been so vacant and full of yourself, which only causes you to suck from everyone else, how about if I put you to such a state of overflow that every thirsty soul around you can find respite? Wouldn't that be beautiful? That's what I want. So there is this aspect, but listen to this promise, by the way, because it's something, if you're still struggling with anything, this should make sense. Back in Exodus 23, when God told him he was going to give him the land, started leading to it, he says, I won't drive out all of them before you in a year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased, and then you inherit the land. The same will be reiterated in Deuteronomy, which is our next book, 
chapter 7, verse 22, when the Lord says, The Lord your God will drive out these nations from before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But the Lord your God, listen, will deliver them over to you and and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. Now, follow me on this for a second. This is the way it works. So, you gave your life to Christ at one point. Now, I'm not talking about you chose to go to church or you chose to check something out. Or, you know what? Okay, I can hang out with those people. They're nice. They have nice pie. There's some good food in the back. And there it is, which we don't put out until later, just so you know, so don't even be thinking about it yet. But you go, okay, I'm going to start following the Lord. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'll call myself a Christian, just for strokes. That's one thing. You're just going to get work to be able to call out to God to be more than just your Savior. It's your Lord. He wants to be the Lord of your life. He created you. He knows how you work better than you do. Praise God for that. But there's so much more. So then you do, okay, all right, Lord, I do want you to be my Lord. I want you to be the architect of my reinvention. My pride's been fighting this. I know that I've been self-reliant. I've been a survivor. I mean, that song is still ringing in my head. I'm a survivor. And it's in my head, and I'm playing it over and over. But I'm going to hand it over to you because I'm going to really survive. I need to live, give my life over to you. And I give it to you now, and I start to follow you. I shouldn't struggle with anything now, right? And then it's like, oh, Pastor Tony, I've been like, I'm still struggling with anger. And I've been a Christian for like four weeks. And you're like, yeah. Yeah. So what do I do? You trust the Lord. Paul wrote, do you remember in Romans, why do I do what I don't want to do? It's like the dooby-dooby-doo thing. Dooby-dooby-doo. Why do I do what I don't want to do? What I don't want to do, I do. What I do want to do, I don't. You got to read that a little slower. You just doobie doos all over it, and and you get this. Well, understand? Paul was like Paul. This was not something Paul wrote new in his ministry. Paul had been a Christian for probably longer than most of you here. So it was a guy. It's like I'm still struggling with this stuff. Now, is it God has failed? No. Listen to the promise again. I'm not going to give you everything right now, or you won't do anything with it. If the moment you said yes to God, God took away every struggle, all you'd be able to tell me is how God was the God of the moment you met Him. And there's some people like that. I remember when I came forward, and I grew a leg, and I grew an arm, and, and I, all of a sudden I became a singer. And it was amazing what God did. And I started jumping up and down, and I started beating somebody with my crutch. And it was amazing. How long ago was that? 30 years ago. Tell me what the Lord's doing today. Nothing. I'm a drunk sitting on the side, still beating people with my crutch. Well, how sad is that? But you can hear that from people. And the Lord says, I want to be the Lord of your life now. And to be the Lord of your life now, I'm going to give you the land part by part. Now, that is not licensed to take liberty and say, well, then I'll just do nothing. Celebrate what he gives you. But the cool part is, look at the Lord has done thing after thing after thing in my life. So I could tell you how the Lord did more than just the moment I met him. Because the moment I met him, God really revolutionized me. But it was so much more. I still cussed, man. I sounded like a sailor. I used to cuss in my prayers. I'm like, oh, God, get this blaring, flaring, blaring, blaring, and mouth off of me. And bless the Lord. You just know that he was just like, oh, bless him. Like, you call the angels around. Like, hey, you guys, maybe he's going to pray again. Check this out. Uh, all right. Uh, and they'd be like, oh, you just wait. Right? I mean, there was a guy that we'd been praying for that was a friend of, of a doctor friend of mine back in the States. And he had been praying, grew, went to secondary school with him. And the guy was living a really rough life and finally invites him to this church. The pastor gives us, it's just like a thousand people in the church. And he, he 
gives this message, and the pastor says, if you want to receive Jesus, and this guy stands up, receives the Lord, and he's like, awesome! And then after the whole thing's over, there's this guy, and he's thanking the Lord, the guy, the, the, the doctor, you know, friend that loves the Lord. Oh, thank you. And he looks over, and his friend has made his way to the other corner of this building where there's like a 1,000, 1,200 people stadium, okay? So you can't be about as far away from each other any farther than they are about. Does that make sense? And the guy that just gave his life to the Lord is there praying with the pastor. And he's praying with the pastor. And he's praying and he's praying. And then he looks back and he looks across the room and he sees his friend. And he gets so excited. He says, the first thing that comes to mind, F! And that's the edited version. Could you imagine? You're like, my friend is just receiving the Lord. And that's what he screams across the entire place. What would you do if you were the pastor? You're like, maybe we should pray one more time. Right? But I remember going, oh, God, you got you to gotta take that. Because it wasn't like it was like, who cares, man? What's the difference? Everybody. I didn't like it. The day I met my wife, God said, you're done with that. And praise God, because had I talked like that to her, she would have taken off running. Good girl. And the Lord, for, listen, please hear me, because we're wrapping this around now. The Lord really wants to let you know he really has a plan for your life. And part of it is to carry you through the new thing, carry you through the next thing, and to give you parcel by parcel, portion by portion. Now, I'm not talking about next you're going to get the Bentley. I'm saying, like, look, at next you're going to get a new set of victories so that you can tell us how the Lord is the Lord of today in your life. Hey, you know, some of this stuff, I, I was born and raised a fighter. I was naturally a fighter. And once I got saved, I knew I couldn't punch anyone. I kind of figured that one out, you know. I mean, it seemed to make sense, but that didn't mean I couldn't come at you with my guns loaded intellectually. And it took a while before that point where, and it's still, you know, someone starts going off with their lies or someone starts freaking out or doing whatever they want to do. It's so natural inside of me to want to go, oh, man, you know, I could, I could lay you down so hard right now. You'll be licking the mat. But I know that's not Christ. And so there's a part of me, it's like, and before there would be a part where it's like, I'd like my tongue would hurt from biting it, you know, like, or my hands would hurt because I want to type back, you know, oh baby, I'm going to just pray for rigor mortis, you know, and that's lesson. And sometimes, you know, that people are going to get what, people are just going to be people, and they're going to be all kinds of mental and there's a part of you that the moment that moves to compassion, you know something supernatural is happening. Because, you know, and I remember in the beginning, it just be, I, I would tell people, I'd have, I'd have rather punched you. But I didn't. Which, they're like, thank you, Pastor. <laughs> okay, follow me. We're, we're almost done here. Okay, so look it. Because there's one more set here after that. But here's the other aspect of it. Is even though as the more fruitful you become, the more land you gain. He says still, though, the place where you're going to be put, hear me, the place where you're going to be put has to be done by lot. It isn't like you're a big group, so you could just decide where you want to be. In the end of it all, he's still like, you guys have to still draw straws. It's interesting, by the way, for what it's worth, is in Proverbs 16.33, it does say, listen to this, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is of the Lord. So in the end of all, please hear me, you cannot pick where, but you can pick to be fruitful. And that's the difference. And it's like, some people are like, well, how come I don't get to be this? Or how come I don't get to be that? I want to be there. I want to be Billy Graham. Do you really? I don't think you do. You're way too young for that. 
I'm way too young for that. That tells you something. Be who God called you to be. What he has is your lot. Delight in it. Because he, he bespoke it with your name on it. Hey, look at I can't take your lot. It's ordained for you. What he has for you is just for you. It's not for me. I'm just seeking to be faithful for what he's calling me to. And look at what we're doing. We're going through names. But I'm doing it because I love it. I've been a pastor for over 25 years in one manner or another. And I have never for a second not loved what I get to do. It hasn't been without crazy people. Crazy people remind you why you're, you're still, you know, still job security as a result of that. But I absolutely love this. I love that I know that God's going to speak to our hearts no matter what part of the scripture we open up. And that's why we go straight through. If you showed up on this day and this is what you got, God had this for you today. Verse 57. There's one more group. You see how when Joseph had a son, had two sons, he used those to replace that 12th person. There were actually 13 groups. I do find that interesting because in the New Testament, we had 12 disciples, but one of them kind of bailed out. And we, not even kind of, really did. And he was replaced. But there was one group here, by the way, and they're just priests. And because they're priests, they can't go fight. Those guys are not going to go fight because they're going to fight in a different way. They're going to fight on their knees. And please hear me in this. Everybody needs a Levite. Everybody needs an armor bearer. Somebody that's just willing to be on their knees and fight in prayer for you. This is what every marriage should be. This is what every friendship should be in Christ. Is that there should be someone that just loves you enough that they're not just going to pray for, for you to, you know, oh God, just take away that problem. But rather, God, let them glorify you in it. Because you've got a purpose in it. So we have these people. Gershon of the Gershonites, Kohites of the Kohathites, and Merari of the Marites. Those are the three people, by the way, that are the sons of Levi. And then from that, we chase the families of the Libnites, Hibernites, Malites, Mushites. By the way, this guy's sons and their names are Mali and Mushi. Does that, does that sound like twins maybe for you or something? Mali, by the way, means sick, and Mushi means sensitive. These are my kids. Sick and sensitive. But he does tell us about the family of the Kohathites, and, that's, and he chases us for a purpose. Kohath begot a guy named Amram, which means a exalted people. Verse 59 well, Amram had a wife, and his, her wife's name was Yecheved. And Yecheved, by the way, means glorified by God. She's the daughter of Levi. She was born of, of, in, to Levi in Egypt and to Amram. She bore then these three kids, Aaron, Moses, and their sister Miriam. That's why he wanted to make sure you saw that. He just wanted to make sure that you saw that that's how Moses came about. To Aaron and Nevav were born a be- Now, here's the other sad part. Aaron were born Nadav and Abihu, Eliezer and Itamar. Nadav and Abihu died when they offered profane fire before the Lord. That's Leviticus 10, by the way. And remember, that's the whole idea. And please hear me, because we're almost done now. These were guys that were priests' kids. Don't think for a moment, just because you're in service, that your family's safe. Everybody needs their own walk with Christ. Your parents could be amazing Christians, but God still doesn't take group reservations. Just the same way he didn't punish the sons of Korah for Korah, he's not going to just accept you because your parents were great, because they were tight with the Lord. You've got to say yes yourself. That's like saying, well, my parents were made, married, so I, that, I should, you know, I'm automatically married. 
kind of takes another person, doesn't it? Or you're delusional or something. But these guys, please hear me on this. You have, you have this fire that, was, that had come out as the altar, as the tabernacle had just gone up. The altar was the place of great sacrifice. Today we look at that as the cross. And these guys, what had happened was is that when, when Aaron has, had taken the coal like he was supposed to and brought it so that he could lift up these prayer and praise, he got, listen, 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 he got the fire from the place of sacrifice. That's where the fire got, came from. Any other fire, hear me, please. I'm speaking from my heart. Any other fire is profane. The fire of worship. The fire of community. The fire of a program. You can't take a coal from that to light yourself. The only thing that's really going to make a difference is if you get to the cross. Because there, there's an abundance of fire to set every one of us alight like we should be. But we were trying to get it elsewhere. We can try to get it in our knowledge and in our ability to argue and in our philosophy. We can try to get it in our importance and what we gather, in our power that we may get. And we step on everyone else to get there. And when we're done, we are so burnt out. And we even use terms like that. And we can do that in the church just like we could anywhere else. Man, we try so hard and we fight and we struggle and we do all of this and we cause, we draw lines and we shoot at each other like a civil war. And it's insanity that if we all go to the cross, we look at each other and we don't see black or white, old or young, rich or poor, fat or skinny there. What we see is that we all have been given great grace that we just will never deserve. Because God loved us, not because we deserved it or because we're so darn lovable, but because he's just quite simply loved. And that's what he's asking. He's inviting here. That's what he wants. And we're reminded here as we take this second census that in these things I look back, there was that rebellion against authority like Simeon. I see that in my past. I look back and I see those moments when I was busy trying to get it from somewhere other than the cross. And that's in my past. I see these moments of great failure. And the cool part about it is, they're my past. And by God's grace, he's buried them. Aren't you thankful? And we could spend our whole life now parking ourselves here and looking and saying, all right, well, this is just where I'm going to be. Or God could start moving you forward. And that's what he does here, beloved. Since those that were numbered, verse 62, let's close this up. It says we're, we're 23,000, every male from a month old and above. They were not numbered among the other children of Israel because there was no inheritance given to them. The great thing about a priest is you don't claim land, you just live. There will be 48 cities given for these guys to live in, but that's another story. When you actually look at the allotment that God gives on the lots, what's interesting, and what we'll probably will do when we get there, is in the book of Joshua, <coughs> excuse me, when the tribes actually get their places that they draw by lot, it's exactly the blessings that were given to them back in Genesis 49. And that's a crazy thought. Because you're talking about, in this case, a half of a millennia ago. Something to consider. So with that, it says, the number of the people, Moses, Elias, of the priests, who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, verse 64. But among these were was not a man numbered by Moses or Aaron, the priests, when they numbered the original people, the children of Israel in the Mount and wilderness of Sinai. Because the Lord said to him, you'll surely die in the wilderness. That's Numbers 14, because they refused by faith to go in. 14.23, by the way. 
when he said to them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. There was not one left of man among them except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Now listen. If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I would like to give you this simple opportunity. My God paid your price. Every evil crime within your heart, mind, and soul, He has paid the price for them all. He, in faith, has stepped out in obedience and in love and has taken the price for those things. Nobody else has volunteered to do that except Jesus, and He did it. He went to the cross, and at the cross... He took all of your and my sins, all of my guilt, all of my shame, all that I've shamed my family, all that I've shamed my people, all that I've shamed myself, all of my wickedness, all of my horribleness, all of my guilt, all of my filth, all of it, every bit of it. And he chose willingly to put it upon himself and then allow himself to get tortured to death so it could be properly punished. And then just like Scripture promised, three days later, he rose again to prove and to offer that though that ended, there is new life on the other side. A new life now that walks by faith, and it is free, and it is celebrant, and it is alive. Well, that's the part he did. And now he says, will you accept that? You don't have to understand everything to know this much. God wants today to give you his innocence. He wants you to cash the check. He's written it. He's paid it. And now he's simply asking that you would trust him enough to say, all right, Jesus, if you really do want to give me your innocence, since you've already taken my punishment, I shouldn't have to pay for it too. I will by faith accept that gift, allowing you to be my savior, my ransom, but also allowing you to be my Lord. Now, I may not understand all of that, but I do know this much. If you really love me that much, and you're really that much smarter and stronger, well then, I should hand my, my life over to you and let you lead me. And that's what I'm going to do. That's the choice you need to make. But if you are here and you have accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'd like to challenge you with this. That here God promises that he's got more land to give, more ground to gain more freedom to step into. And in that, we can look back and live with our, staring at our rearview mirror where clearly there's constant, horrible defeat, where there's mistakes and regrets. But praise God, the wilderness is not where these people were going to live. That was just the place where we let go of that stuff so we can move forward now so that we didn't have to let that stuff be buried in our new place. Isn't that nice? God actually let all of that stuff die in the wilderness so that we could get rid of all that baggage so that when we enter into this place of fruitfulness, we don't have to take it with us. The problem is, are you taking it with you anyways? You could, but you shouldn't. Are you still living in that place where you still feel like you're a little less of a Christian or a lot less or second class or whatever because of something that's now already been taken care of, punished and buried? It's time to leave it in the wilderness and step forward by faith with the Lord. And that's what he wants. But that's your choice, not mine. I've made my choice. I'm entering in. Will you pray with me? Lord, right now, For every believer here, 
who has struggled, who has wanted to be free from something they're still battling with, and you already have on the agenda to give them that victory. I pray right now that you would lead them. Give them trust as you tell us that faith comes by hearing and not your word. Give them the faith that is necessary to trust you, that they never walk and let go of you, but cling to you and let you continue to carve off of us that which just doesn't belong. So I commit this to you, for everyone here, for every brother, for every sister, Lord God, please, let the past be exactly that. Let it be buried in the wilderness where it belongs, left so that when we enter into this place that you have for us of great fruitfulness, Lord, that that will not be a part of us in any way. Lord, heal the emotional scars. Burn off the emotional tattoos that don't belong with us anymore. And set us free to love you like we should. Lord, I just pray right now for every person who's had a divorce, an abortion, have abused others, have seen the face of someone and they know that they've hurt them. Pray for every person who has willingly, by rebellion, stepped into something that they knew would hurt your heart. I pray for every person, Lord, who is still riddled with the problems of, of, of looking back and seeing these struggles and saying, I'll always be this. I'll always struggle with this. Lord, today you've made clear that it is time to leave that back and start walking forward with you and you will continue to give us more land as you make us more fruitful. May we today trust you in this. May we, Lord, not just look back and talk about the glory days as if they were behind us. I really believe the best you have for us is yet to come. And I pray we would embrace that, Lord, as you continue to shed from us the things of Egypt, that we would enter into this new place, faithful, available, current, and teachable. That's my heart's desire. And Lord, that we would have the joy of that freedom that comes with you, the abundance of joy that comes at your presence. Lord, I pray right now that we would now stiffen our necks to stare at you, and leave what's behind, behind. Even as Paul would say, that he leaves what is behind, behind, that he would press forward for the upward call of you. And so, Lord, I pray that for your upward call, Father in Christ Jesus, for your upward call, that we would gladly leave what is behind, behind, and embrace you. Allow you to reinvent us completely for your glory. And here in this room, if right now there be anyone who has not said yes to the gift of Jesus, and it is a gift, we'll never earn it. It is solely reliant by the kindness of the giver, not by the deservedness of the recipient. And if today there be anyone at all in here who may, may not have gotten everything, but they got that they need to say yes to this gift, I'm going to pray a prayer so you don't have to just feel led like cattle. And I want you to listen. And at the end of it, if you agree, I simply ask for you to say amen. And what you're saying is, I agree 
Let this prayer be my prayer. Let those words be my words. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God, I come to you imperfect, not perfect. You know it and I know it. And you as a righteous judge, punish all wrong. And yet you love the human being. If you really created me to be with you, if you've really been chasing after me, then today you've made clear that you have given me the gift of your innocence, paying the price on the cross for me in my stead. And having died, my verdict died with it. Having resurrected, you offer me new life. And you simply ask for my permission. And I say yes. I say yes to your innocence, your purity, your forgiveness. They say yes to your ransoming me. They say yes to your lordship and leadership in my life. Lead me, love me as you want to. And fill that spot you made for you with you. That I could finally be satisfied and rest in you. Just like you made me to. So I say yes. Declaring Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I say yes. Have me now. In Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Lord, thank you for what you've done in this time. For the beauty of your word. I just pray now, Lord, you would do beautiful things in our hearts. Cement in us those convictions and lead us now, Lord, that 10 years from now or 40 years from now, if you choose to tarry, we'll be able to look at this and be able to see the victories. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Be blessed, we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Beloved, thank you for the privilege of being able to be in the Word with you and for the honor that it is to be your pastor. Praise God. Now, food and all kinds of stuff is in the back room. Please be our guest to head over there and do that while we tear down and make room for another group. God bless you. Don't forget, you want to get part of the baptism. Whether you want to be baptized or not, see Jenny. If you want to be part of the Israel chip, come and speak with us. God bless you.